everyone. This is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week we read Parsha Lech Lecha, which is the introduction to the story of Avraham, right? We first see the big commandment, the beginning, Lech Lecha, to, to the land that I will show you, etc. And we read about the story of the incredible Avraham, the father of our religion, whose dedication to God um, and readiness to, to fill God's commandment, I think is, is really considered a model for all of us throughout Jewish history. And so given Abraham's, uh, the way that we think about Abraham and his attitude and the way that we revere him, there actually is a scene in this Parsha that I find particularly striking. And that's what I wanna look at this week. Um, so in the beginning of chapter 15, um, we'll just go through a brief summary now and then consider what exactly is going on. So in the beginning of chapter 15, um, God appears to Avram. He's not Avraham yet. He's Avram. Um, in a vision. And what does God say? Al-Tira, Avram. Don't be afraid, Avram, for I am a shield to you and your reward shall be very great. Well, now that sounds like it should be pretty good. But Avraham's reaction here is very interesting. Because Avram, in the second pasuk, he says, Right, Lord God, what can you give me, seeing that I shall die childless? And the one in charge of my household is Damesek Eliezer. So here Avram is basically saying, God, what, do you, what can you possibly give me? Okay, you're going to give me great reward, but what can you give me? I, I don't have a child. Now, in verse 3, then, right after this, immediately after this, Avram then says, again, as the JPS translates it, Avram said, further, since you have granted me no offspring, my steward will be my heir. And then God responds, uh, no, that one will not be your heir. The one who will be will be one of your biological children. And then God takes Avram outside and says, look to the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them and says, so shall your offspring be. And then this little scene concludes with, with and be, God, it's difficult to translate. I'm purposely not translating it how the JPS translates it here, but that he believed in God, meaning Avram believed in God and considered it like it's Daka, which we'll talk about the translation for that. So the reason that I say that this little scene is interesting is for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that it seems like both from Avram's comments in verse two, by saying, what are you going to give me? I'm going to die, die childless. And then in verse three, by saying further, and since you haven't given me any children, my steward will be my heir, Ben Beiti. Avram here seems to actually be pretty frustrated with God or certainly frustrated with his situation and is kind of lashing out almost. Um, he, it seems like Avram's, you know, kind of kept this in for so long and now it, it's venting it out to God and saying, but what are you talking about? You keep telling me I'm going to have this big kingdom, right? And I don't have any children. Um, and that also given Avram's um, venting of this frustration, First of all, that is striking. But second of all, the way that God responds, that God doesn't respond by calling him out on that. God responds by saying, no, don't worry, you're actually going to have a biological child. 
Um, so that I think is interesting, Avram's reaction, God's reaction to that. And then the final concluding verse in the scene, that, that Avram believed in God and considered it like a tzedakah. Okay, what does the word tzedakah mean? That also to me seems strange. Now, so what I wanted to start with is the question of what is going on with Avram's frustration? And I don't have any profound insight that you can't gain from reading the, just reading the Parsha itself until now. But I think it's important to consider what has led Avram to this point because we often, you know, we take these stories of Avram and they're amazing stories for us that we read and, and they're just like incredible, but we forget that there's a sequence, there's a chronology. And we have to consider what Avram's story until this point actually has been. So if we remember, of course, as we said, our Parsha opens with the famous scene, right? The Lord said to Avram, go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And not only that, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So Avram gets this amazing revelation and this amazing promise. And of course, he actually, he listens, right? That's the first thing that makes Avram great is that he actually follows God. But what actually happens when he gets there? He builds an altar to Hashem, and then, oi, there's a famine. And so Avram goes down to Egypt. And we know that what happens in Egypt is a disaster. Paro takes Sarai away, and then there's the whole mess about this and that, and he gets Sarai back, finally. And then they head back up north, to the land of Israel. But once they get there, they realize that the land can't contain Avram's cattle and Lot's and all that everyone is fighting. And so he says to Lot in, in, in this selfless way, you pick where you wanna go and you go. And then God comes out and says, look at this great land that I'm giving you and for your children and your offspring. Okay, very nice. But then what happens? The war of the four kings and the five kings and Lot is being seized and then Avram has to deal with all of that and everything. So, you know, we, we open with our great figure of Avram getting this amazing commandment, but really a lot of the Parsha is then about all the things God promised him not actually happening. And I would have to think that if you're Avram at this point, you're probably pretty exhausted and your patience is wearing thin. God interrupts, or at least there's an interlude between all of these sort of disastrous stories in between God will jump in and say, oh, don't like you're gonna don't worry, you're gonna have great things. But then something else happens and it's a mess all over again. So yeah, I would think Abram's probably pretty frustrated right now, or at the very least, getting impatient and wondering when he's actually going to be able to enjoy any of the things that God has actually promised him. And so I think it's just important to consider what's happening in the story until now to appreciate Abraham's. Um, impatience in in our scene that we opened with in the beginning of chapter 15, where he kind of says to God, look, I don't have anyone that's just going to be, you know, Eliezer, that's the way it's going to go. Because he, until now, that's what everything has been showing him, right? He doesn't really have any reason to actually believe that God is going to do all of these wonderful things to him. And I have to wonder if Avram's reaction affects God, meaning that God realizes, hmm, you know what? He's kind of right. Like this actually has been tough on him um, and maybe doesn't really fully appreciate everything that Avram has been through um, and all of the challenges of that. 
Now, in order um, to, to, to appreciate, I think, exactly what's happening in the scene, we have to look at the last verse, right? So it seems like, first of all, God appreciates, or maybe at least is patient enough with Abraham to then just respond with, you know what? Look at the stars. Actually, look. This is what your, your offspring are going to be. And then that is something that Abraham is actually able to hear. Because we look at the last verse, what happens? Mean Bashem. Right, Abraham then believes in God, or as the JPS translates, we'll now look at the translation, he put his trust in God. It's almost like Abraham was told at the beginning, Lech Lecha, and said, okay, good, I'm going to get all these great things out of it, which doesn't mean that he was only motivated by an incentive. I don't think that's true. But maybe he didn't quite resign himself um, to the... <laughs> to the world of belief in which one, one has absolutely no control, right? In order to really believe in something, you have to really surrender yourself to it, um, which I think is in some ways really what Avram does here. He's, he lets go of any sense that he may have control or that the universe has order to it, um, that, that he should just expect this one thing because God said so, and then be frustrated when it's not happening. That I think in some ways is represented by the first part of the verse. But actually, if you think about it, the verse is almost contradicts itself because the second half is So how do we translate that? How you translate that depends on how you understand who the low is. Um, GPS translates it as he reckoned it to his merit. He with a capital H, meaning that God then thought of this belief, this amuna that Avram has in God as a merit, as a tzedakah. And that's how Rashi and others understand it, right? Which would mean that how does this, this little interaction between Avram and God um, resolve? Avram's frustrated. God says, don't worry. And Avram says, you know what? I'm going to believe in God and I'm going to believe in you. And then God considers that act, that gesture of faith, to be a merit for him. Now, I actually, when I read this verse, that is not where my brain goes to. My brain goes to thinking that this is not about God, considering Avram's faith at Tzedakah for God, but rather that Avraham is thinking about what God does for him as a Tzedakah. Um, and in, so that's actually what the Chizkuni says. The Chishkuni says, what does it mean? Avraham chashav lo letzmo, she'ena kadosh baruchu noten lo bischuto zera, ela tzedakah oselo. So the Chizkuni says, what did Avraham think? He thought that God was not giving him a child because of his own schut, because of his own merit, but rather that God was doing it tzedakah for him. Now, with all due love and respect to the Chizkuni, who is one of my favorite Mepharshim, and I think, you know, I always think he has something interesting to say, I appreciate that he says it's Avram, but I actually think I would challenge the translation here, the way that I think, the way that he thinks about this, because I think if you actually reverse it, it becomes more powerful. What do I mean reverse? The word tzedakah. Now, the word tzedakah, as Jonathan Sachs and others have pointed out, is very difficult to translate into English. Um, often when we say, oh, you give tzedakah nowadays, it would be translated to as you give charity. 
Except the charity is something that you give of your own, a choice that you make to give it to someone else who is less fortunate than you. But we know that the word tzedakah comes from the word tzedek, right, which means justice. That's often how it's translated. It means righteousness. It means that you don't give money to other people because the spirit moves you and you feel like you should do something good, that giving money is actually rooted in an act of justice. You do it because it is what you are supposed to do. Now, here then, what would that mean? That the, that it, Abraham like thought that it was um, something maybe that God was supposed to do for him, right? Be, so how do we translate it into this context? Now, what I want to suggest is actually that this is about Avram, but not as the Chizkuni said. I want to flip what the Chizkuni said. He thinks that God, that Avram thought, oh, I don't deserve it. This is an act of tzedakah from God, meaning an act of, of um, a, a, like a beautiful thing that God does for him um, because God chooses, but not necessarily because Avram earned it. And I actually want to suggest that the opposite. I want to suggest that tzedakah in this setting, dafka means the opposite of that, that it dafka means that Avraham thought that this was something that he deserved. Now, if you look at the word tzedakah and appears in the Torah, the five books of Moses, it does not appear that frequently. And if you want, you can plug it into the concordance and look at the results. It's fewer than 10. The most striking appearance that it makes for our specific conversation today is in Devarim chapter nine. And Moshe is speaking and says, when God has thrust you from your path, in other words, when God comes to punish you and kick you out of the land, um, don't say to yourselves, oh, um, that, sorry, excuse me, not when you thrust from your land, when you got, when you start to inherit the land, God, don't say to yourselves, oh, God is giving us this land because of our virtues, because we're so good. God's not giving it to you because you're so good, but rather it's because the other nations are so bad, God's going to kick them out. And it's not because of that you're so good that you'll be able to get their land. It's just their wickedness. And also, in addition to that, God is just fulfilling the oath that God made to your fathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And then what does the next verse continue? Know then that it is not for any virtue of yours that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, what is this saying? You're going to get the land, but don't get all high on yourself thinking that it's because um, you earned it and you deserved it. You don't deserve it, right? You are Amshay You are stiff-necked people. This is something that God is doing. That is, you know, to fulfill the promise that God made to your forefathers. But it's not necessarily something that you morally have earned. And what is that word? The adata kilo betzid katcha. That it is not of your own merit. In other words, it is not something that you earned. It is not something that you deserved. So now let's turn to our story today with Avraham. I want to suggest that the, how the proper way to translate this verse is, and Avraham believed in God and thought that this was something that he deserved. In other words, this is a beautiful scene in which Avram says to God, God, 
you haven't given me this air. What's going on? I've been through all of this. I've been everywhere. I've been through hell in order for you. And I haven't gotten anything. Avram finally lets loose. And God says, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm going to take you outside. Look up at the heavens. You're going to have many offspring, right? Don't worry. And God gives him more concrete reassurance. And Abraham says, you know what? I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to have faith in you. A beautiful act of surrendering oneself. But at the same time, why does Abraham choose to surrender himself to God? Because he believed that he had earned it, that he deserved it. We tend to think of that as being kind of negative language, right? We we praise selflessness in our society. And if you get an award and you think that you say, yeah, you know, I kind of deserve it, you're thought of as being full of yourself, right? You're not being humble. Um, but actually, if taken to the extreme, a lack of humility can be, can transform and can muddle, we can muddle the lines, you can become selfless to the point of harm, of damage. And I think that it's a really amazing statement here, a contradictory verse that captures the beauty of trying to be a good person, of trying to be a good Jew, which is to have total faith in God and surrender yourself to God's will, but at the same time, to believe that actually people get what they deserve, both bad and both good. And, you know, we, we sort of look at the theology in the Torah of the, that good people get good things and that bad people get bad things and that bad things only happen to the Jewish people when they're punished. I mean, when they've done something wrong and that's become very problematic theologically over the course of our history. But at the same time, I think it's a really important building block to begin with as a nation. Just like when young kids are in school, we teach them fairness, right? That, that you know, if you do the good thing, you'll get a reward. And if you don't, you'll be punished. Is there, does the real world work like that? No, but it has to be a building block of your belief nonetheless before you can tackle the complexities of the world around you. And that is really, I think, to me, what this pasuk represented. The way that Avraham was able to make peace with the unknown certainty of the future was both to believe in God that God would give him an offspring, but at the same time that he would deserve it. And not deserve it because he'd worked so hard, but believe that it's something he had earned. It was part of the fairness of the world. And that we have to believe on some level that while we surrender ourselves to God, that the world is also in some ways a fair place um, in that respect. And we have to have faith um, that, that God will re reward reward us one day, or at least you know that, that God is kind of keeping checks on us and making sure um, that in, in some ways that, that things are equal and balanced, even if the world often represents the opposite. Shabbat Shalom.